Hi, this is Steve. Now, John and I take every episode of the Cinephiles seriously, but I think we all know that some episodes are just a little bit more serious than others. So, obviously, when we decided to tackle Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece, The Godfather, our goal was to explore every possible detail of this incredible film. And the idea that we could actually accomplish such a lofty goal was, frankly, ridiculous. The fact is, even though we've only made it through two-thirds of the movie, we've already gotten literally dozens of reminders of all the things we've missed. The fact that Marlon Brando actually worked with Frank Sinatra in Guys and Dolls, which could have affected his performance when the Don told Johnny Fontaine that he should act like a man. We also didn't mention the age difference between Michael and Apollonia, who was played by a 16-year-old actress. We asked whether or not Michael had ever been to Sicily, completely forgetting about how his father took him there when he was a toddler in Godfather Part Two. And, of course, the fact that we will never explore every aspect of this incredible film is part of what makes it so remarkable. It's also why, if you still haven't seen it, you need to visit cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream The Godfather through Amazon Prime. And if you happen to support our podcast on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, right now you could be listening to us discuss our spiritual connection to our favorite artists. So that's spiritual connections on Patreon and the conclusion to our epic exploration of The Godfather this Friday on The Cinephiles. This was enough time, Michael. Was enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where we are concluding our three-part exploration into The Godfather. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host over in the Outlaw Nation and voiceover artist. And I would add that I hope we're concluding uh, our <laughs> Godfather discussion in this third part. Uh, as Lord knows, we didn't anticipate it would go through. We had a sneaking suspicion, but we didn't fully anticipate it. But now we are into the third part of this incredible movie. And uh, so far, Steve, from what we've seen from people already, the early returns are they are incredibly excited that we've taken this amount of time on this uh, film. There's, there's just so much here, you yeah. know, yeah. and, and I, I would, you know, it's so funny. We spent so much time building up to doing this. I would so much rather err on the side of too much. Yes. Than miss stuff. And we're still going to miss stuff. You of know, course, that. yeah, so, yeah, yeah, actually, that's yeah. how that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and uh, where we left off, we had just had the tragic death of Apollonia in the explosion that was meant for Michael, and then we head back to New York mm. to what I think is uh, an amazing scene, which is the meeting of the families. Oh. It's Vito making his deal with the Tatalias, it's where we really get to see Barzini. Um, for the first time. I mean, we, he was at the wedding, but he didn't really speak. Yeah. Uh, this is shot, by the way, in the boardroom of the New York Central Railroad. Mm. And I think this location is so important to the film and the whole theme of the film. Yeah. Because it, it completely transforms the idea of a mobster. Because this is a board meeting, just like a corporation. This yeah. looks like a corporate meeting. 
There's an elegance to this shot, to these shots, to this setting, to this boardroom. You're right. That kind of elevates it from sitting around in a conference table, like saying, say like analyze this or something like that, where they're sitting around a warehouse around some makeshift tables. This feels regal. This feels yeah. almost like royalty. These are kings getting together to discuss slicing up uh, uh, areas of New York. And it feels just like businessmen making a business deal. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feels like criminals, you know, in the shadows coming up with some plot to, you know, that's not what this is. Right. Um, and, and the other thing that I think is so important is you really see why, even though we've seen it throughout the whole film, but Vito in this meeting, you see all of his skills, all yeah. of his brilliance, all of his planning, his charisma, and he thanks everyone very cordially and he introduces all of them and and all of the people the faces the the costumes they're all just great great characters and and it's so crazy to think that and this really was true is that there are these organizations throughout the country and they all knew each other yeah yeah you know um certainly with murder incorporated Right. You know, which is the same time that that that, you know, this is a this is a massive, massive organizations. And remember, when this is set, Steve, we're only a few years away from that big meeting. And that was the what started all this, uh, um, you know, monitoring the mob and all of that. I think it was in Appalachian, New York, where they had that big meeting and the feds were able to bug it and what have you. And so this is kind of mm. the vibe where they feel they feel um, gutsy enough to be able to have a meeting like this in a regular building in a regular uh, uh, conference room, yeah. I don't things ever get so far. I don't know. We're so unfortunate, so unnecessary. The guy you lost the son. I lost the son. And and this is the the humanity, the compassion. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the guy who literally is responsible, or one of the people responsible for the murder of his son. Yeah. yeah. And yet he is trying to heal. We're quits. And if the tally agrees, then I'm willing to let things go on the way they were before. And then we see the main other person in this room is not Tatalia, who he's yeah. talking to. It's Barzini. Of course. Um, and that's Richard Conte. And he's great. And the civility with which he speaks. We're all grateful to Don Corleone for calling this meeting. We all know him as a man of his word. A modest man. He'll always listen to reason. Yes, Don Barzini. He's too modest. He had all the judges and politicians in his pocket. He refused to share them. That's Natalia, yeah, calling him yeah. out. Yeah. And Vito's response is, when did I ever refuse an accommodation? <laughs> Except one time. Oh, why? Because I believe this drug business is going to destroy us in years to come. And now he gets to make his statement, you know. Even the police departments that have helped us in the past with uh, gambling and other things are going to refuse to help us when it comes to narcotics. And I believe that then. And I believe that now. I, I want to talk, talk about this just for a moment. Yeah, sure. Because you know how we said earlier when we had the Bonacera meeting that, yep. that Vito thinks of things, it's not transactional, it's relational. It's relationship-based. Right. right. Everything and, and his whole means of doing things of someday I'm going to come to you for a favor. It's all based on these connections and relations. Mm -hmm. The narcotics are transactional. Yes, they are. It's a valuable substance, and we can get a lot of money. Yeah, 
And what Vito is thinking about is the politicians and the, the power structure and the police and public perception and all these things that are way beyond whether or not it's going to make a lot of money. He knows it'll make a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and this is the scene that my father fell in love with Vito Corleone because my father was very adamant against drug usage. He was, he was around in the 60s and 70s as an immigrant to this country, seeing people like, you know, becoming addicted to drugs, overdosing, you know, all the stuff that he would walk around D.C. Uh, and see that in Philadelphia and see that. So for him, it really turned him off to the idea of drugs. Like my dad never did drugs. Like it just wasn't his thing. He drank, but he never did drugs. And so, you know, he's crazy. He thought my the Beatles brought drugs into this country. Or, but I guess what he was trying to say is he made it cool. So they made it cool. So when you watch this scene, my dad was like, uh, he always referenced this scene, this moment. He goes, that's why he's a good guy. That's why he's better than all of because he understood he knew the dangers of drugs he was right he was right johnny he was right and it's like yeah he was right he said it would uh rat he said it would tear the thing it did the 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 people apart he said it would tear up their connections it would make them and it's right because there's so much money or as sunny white say there's a lot of money in that white powder stuff so there was so much money to be had then the greed comes out the suspicions come out and people start using this while they're also, you know, it's different than women and, and liquor. This is something that legitimately could be super dangerous, you know? It, it, it's so, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up because it actually segues perfectly into something I've been thinking about but didn't know how to express, which is that the thing that's so, it, this movie is so seductive. Yeah. Because oh, you, yeah. Go, you do go, in this moment, you go like, yeah, see, Vito's a good guy. Vito's not a good guy. No, well, no, right. Vito's a bad guy. <laughs> like, like, the fact that Waltz is an asshole yeah. doesn't mean that Johnny Fontaine is a good guy. Right, and it right. certainly doesn't mean that it's okay to cut the head off a $600,000 horse or any animal and, and put it in a dude's bed. That's right. bad behavior. Or putting a gun to a band leader's head and saying either your name's going to be on the contract or your brains. Right, like, right. these are not the actions of good people. Right. You know, like even because the thing is, we all experience people who are assholes. We all experience. But that band leader, Johnny Fontaine, signed that contract. Yeah. And now that guy is worth a lot more than his contract and the band leader scored. Yeah. You know, and it's like he he it's it's a legally binding deal and he had a right to keep it. And some guy came in and threatened his life yeah. and made him give it up for very little money. Yeah. Like and, and, and the moment where. Vito after Bonacera leaves and says, after all, we're not murderers. It's like, well, aren't you? You know? Right. I mean, that that's the thing is it and yet in this scene, because of the his stature and his elegance and his everything he is saying and the fact that he says no to drugs, we go right. comparatively, he's a good guy. Right, right. And this is what I always found to be funny when Coppola's like, I didn't want people to admire the mob when they came out of my movie and blah, blah, blah. But you shot it so beautifully. You put this character at the center of it, for the most part, uh, who was so regal and so lovable and so just charming in his reservedness. Um and you made him and you the audience cheered for him. The audience. He was essentially the protagonist in this movie. Michael oh, yeah. at times the antagonist slash protagonist. And of course, Natalia Barzini is the overall antagonist. But yeah, I mean, this is a moment where you feel such sympathy for him because he's trying to bring the five families together. He's trying to do all this kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right. It's like people fell in love with Tony Soprano. I'm like, this is a bad guy. This yeah. is a bad. This is not a good guy. I'm glad he's going to therapy. 
but he's not a good guy, you know. But people are weird. <laughs> I love the whole like. Well, he's he's working on himself. Yeah, he's working know? on himself. But people give so much when you work on yourself. They're like, ah, well, I can allow this or that. It's like, no, he's a bad fucking dude. Well, this is the thing about how movies work, and and part of why this is a really good movie is every decision Michael makes and Vito makes, and every decision that we're going to see De Niro make as young Vito. Yeah, they all make sense. Yeah, yeah. He does have to kill Salazzo and McCloskey. Right. You know what I mean? He does have to solidify his position. Tessio was going to have him assassinated. All the stuff we're going to get into in a few minutes. Like, all that is true. Yeah. And because it's well-constructed, you go, yeah, he has yeah. to do that. I'd do right. the same thing. He must be a good guy. Rusty. He's not. Right. Well, and the other thing is the, the there's the save the cat fallacy, which we talked about many times in the show, which is save the cat means I need my audience to like my main character. I have to make sure that they know that my main character is a good guy. So they're going to do something good, like save a cat early in the movie. And what's wrong, what, what I always think the fallacy is, is not that we don't like good people, but yeah. that is not we why we like people. We don't like Vito Corleone or or Michael, or any of these, or Sonny, or any of these people, because they are good people. Yeah. We like Luca Brazzi. He's oh. not a good person at all. Not at all, yeah. But we like him. Right. You know? And that's why casting is, uh, yeah. you know, to me, 90% of the situation. So, so <sighs> but now they're saying, look, it's not the act of a friend to not share your judges. You have these resources. You have to let us use them. He must let us draw the water from the well. Yeah. I love I love Barzini at this moment. Certainly he can present a bill for such services. After all, we are not communists. <laughs> that is such a key line. Yeah, it because is. Because that's where you go, this is about America. This right. is America in the 40s and 50s. Also, know? this is a transactional situation. Mm -hmm. And what's difference what's different between um the homie at the beginning asking for them to kill his the, the people who hurt his daughter? And this situation, both situations are transactional. Yep. You know, so in this moment, he's he's engaged in the same kind of thing. Present a bill for his services. That's so I mean, remember, he's like, I'm going to give you money to do this. There's no difference. You're invoicing for the situation. It, it's it's transactional at the end of the day. Well, and this is the transition from Italy to America, yeah. the transition from young Vito to Michael, because America is a transactional country. Yes. You know, we're like business is business and that it doesn't matter who, you know, it doesn't matter your relationships with people. You just make the best deal. Yep. Yeah. Everyone's out for themselves. That's the idea. And then this other guy, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy speech of just, you know, I, I don't like drugs either. That's why we got to have rules. We don't have them around kids. And then he has this line where he says, in my city, we would keep the traffic in the dark, people to call it. They're animals anyway, so let them lose their souls. It's a difficult line to to listen to now in retrospect, because of of course with everything that's happened. But like the irony, I think it was, that, think it was supposed to be difficult then. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. you're right. Yeah, the irony that those people would see themselves in a way as above quote unquote colored people, the coloreds as he calls them. Uh, meanwhile, they're super criminals. They're super criminals. All of them that are in that room, uh, and so for them to pass judgment as if they're somehow better is one of the most uh, hypocritical things you'll ever watch, especially that guy who comes off as a, a full-on a-hole. Well, and I think the other thing that's interesting about that line is this thing we've been talking about before of that the Italians weren't considered white at this time. Right. So right, that right. just as, because because someone, some asshole white guy could have said the same thing about the Corleones. Yeah, right. In fact, we're going to see that kind of thing in Godfather 2. We're going to hear from yes. the senator that kind of stuff. Corleone. Yeah, you're right. 
But I must have strict assurance from Corleone. As time goes by and his position becomes stronger, will he attempt any individual vendetta? Look, we are all reasonable men here. We don't have to give assurances as if we were lawyers. <laughs> That's Barzini. And then this is this is where Vito's just amazing. You talk about vengeance. Is vengeance going to bring your son back to you? Or my boy to me? I forgot the vengeance of my son. And so the first thing he says is about peace. My son is dead. Your son is dead. Vengeance has happened. We need to let it go and stop. There's no point in it. So that's a soft statement yeah. on some level. Mm-hmm. And then his next sentence. But I have selfish reasons. My younger son was forced to leave this country because of this and also business. All right. I have to make arrangements to bring him back here safely. Clear of all these false charges. But I'm a superstitious man. And if some unlucky accident should befall him, if he should get shot in the head by a police officer, or if he should hang himself in his jail cell, or if he's struck by a bolt of lightning, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room. And then I do not forgive. That's a great threat. This is this is the reason why I'm doing this. So I'll give you what you want, but this is the exchange. You know, this is the here's my bill for these services. Well, and my threat. But that aside, let me say that I swear on the souls of my grandchildren that I will not be the one to break the peace we've made here today. And he puts out his arms, and Tatalia rises, and it's very formal. Yeah, and they Kai is emotional. Yeah. And they come together and they embrace. And Barzini, you can see him in the background of the shot, which is key <laughs> to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. Yes. Had Vito planned all of this in advance? Did he know exactly what he was going to do? Yep. And yeah. he knew I would not be the one to break the peace in this. That's right, because he's not going to be Don for much longer. He knows Michael is going to take over. So yeah. Michael will break the peace when he kills all the members of the five heads of the five families. So that was the second part of my question is, is it always in his head that Vito knows that all these guys, he's got to wipe them all out? Probably. But Michael waits. Yeah. And Vito and probably waits until Vito dies on purpose. Like they probably negotiated that as well. Wait till I'm gone. Then you do what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. Because you got to show that you're in control of this family and control of the power. Well, and that you're not. Vito doesn't have to violate his word. You yep. know, yep. they're still honorable in a way. Yeah, he is at least. Yeah. By the way, what Coppola says that I find crazy is they shot this scene in one day. <laughs> That's a lot to shoot. It's a yes. lot of people. There's a lot of cuts. When I meet with the Tatalia people, should I insist that all these drug middlemen have clean records? Mention it. Don't insist. Which, again, great, yeah. great wisdom. And then the next line. Bazzini's a man who'll know that without being told. Bazzini, you, you mean Tatalia? Tatalia's a pimp. <laughs> Tatalia's a pimp. He never could have outfought Santino. But I didn't know until this day that it was Barzini all along. Because it was Barzini directing that meeting. It was Barzini yep. saying, you know, you should present a bill for these services, blah, blah, blah. It was Barzini pushing this from behind. And again, I think Vito went to this meeting knowing I'm going to find out who's behind the Tatalias. Yep. Yep. That was part of the plan. Mm -hmm. We're at a school and I didn't know this. I did several things. I didn't know. First of all, this is a pickup shot. It's shot Mm -hmm. almost a year later. 
And the second thing, I had no idea this is shot about seven miles away from where I grew up. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is in Ross in Marin County, shot in front of the little school there. And it's so funny looking at it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, that totally. I totally know exactly where that is. (laughs) I never knew it before. And we see Kay. She's uh, with some kids. She's crossing. And Michael, with a hat, (laughs) like a big gangster hat, gets out of the car. How long have you been back? I've been back a year. Longer than that, I think. Wow. Why, think, why Why? I think. Think about that. Well, because, you know, he's not keeping track and he wants to kind of somewhat be honest with her. But him, I mean, th- it's so quick, the time jump, Steve. It doesn't say one year later, nothing. It's deft what Coppola does here. We know this relationship is important. It was integral at the beginning of the movie into the middle of the movie. It gets derailed by the Apollonia relationship. Now he's back. The fact that he's been back for a year right? You see him. He is fully a gangster now. His look, Mm -hmm. his feel when he steps out of that car, there is a power where he commands the energy in whatever situation he's in. Even outdoors, he commands the energy. And she's frozen. She's like dumbstruck. Almost the thunderbolt hitting her again. Hitting Mm -hmm. her as as it did to Michael. And she's just can only, you know, utter out how long. So clearly she's kept that flame burning for him for so long. Uh, and the fact that it's been a year, that's he's has such patience, Steve. Maybe he was keeping tabs on her. Maybe he knew she wasn't moving on. So he knew he could, when he was ready to, he was going to um, make the move to bring her in to be his wife. A, I totally think he was keeping tabs on her. Yeah. That just seems very much like, of course, Michael was. Yeah. I, I think that I think is interesting because I think he has been in a, a, a grieving denial mm business funk do you yeah. know what i mean yeah, like yeah, yeah. i literally think he's not sure he, he's not 100 percent sure how long it's been that he got back yeah he just had, yeah. had his head down becoming you know training with Vito and learning how to be the don yeah and maybe right he maybe had to process the loss of apollonia and find his way back to k uh and there is a deleted scene where he finds fabrizio who is running a pizza restaurant i think mm. and he kills him and then he kills him so he Which gets is- his revenge yeah. Correct to be deleted. Yes. Because <laughs> it's not important. Because because I think, I know, this, as right. you said, right. this cut, this jump forward in time is way more powerful to I not agree. tie up those loose ends. Yeah. The other thing, and this is, again, it's what we asked in the very first part when he mm-hmm. brings Kay into the wedding picture, is I don't know how much he loved her then. Yeah. I certainly don't. Well, his motivations and what he's doing, it's really hard to to know. I think he loves her way less now yes. than he did then. And I think he sees her as a necessary piece of his overall goal, which is to become more American, more white American, to assimilate into society easier. Having a white wife helps him do that, especially one who under who is very waspish and looks to understand the ways of the waspish world. You know, There's so many tragic choices that Michael makes. Mm. And marrying Kay... And the idea, which I completely agree with, that you just said, his desire to assimilate, his desire to to leave his Italian traditionalness behind and become yeah. just a white America is a tragic decision as well in yeah. all sorts of ways, in yeah. terms of his family, in terms of all those things. And in Godfather 2, when he's crying to his mom, it's like, you've, you've created this bed. What are you crying yeah. about that they don't love you as much? Because you're not you're not capable of it. So now they're walking, and I love that the car is following them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm working for my father now, Kate. 
But you're not like him, Michael. I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. That's what you told me. That's my family. It's not me. Well, now it is you. And he says, and this is something you mentioned in the previous episode. My father's no different than any other powerful man. (sighs) Any man who's responsible for other people. Like a senator or a president. This is one of the great moments in the film. You know how naive you sound. Why? Senators and presidents don't have men killed. Oh. Who's being naive, Kay? And then he picks it up there. Before he lets the moment fall, he says, you know, my father's way of doing things are over. He knows that. I mean, in five years, the Corleone family is going to be completely legitimate. It's... <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. Well, for... First of all, I do. The part, one question is, is, well, how much does he really believe this? And I think he does believe. Oh, this. I think he believes it. Absolutely. Yeah. A thousand percent. But I also think he he doesn't know how being legitimate means you have to stop committing crimes. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're not willing to do in well, order to become legitimate. Yeah. I hear your point. I hear your point. I don't know if his version of legitimate or his definition of legitimate is the common definition of legitimate. You know what I'm saying? Or standard, not common standard definition of legitimate because in his mind, legitimate meaning where I will have the power and that the white power structure will respect my power mm. And I will be part of the white power. So, because remember, he rejected his family to go fight in the military, to go be around other soldiers, to go be a part of this war, to fight for America. So, in his mind, he is more American than Italian. Even when he goes to revisit his roots of it, in Italy, tragedy happens there. He never goes back. He stays in America. So in his mind, he thinks if I go legitimate, then the white power structure will accept me. That's the lie he tells himself or the lie he wants to believe. But it doesn't happen because he's still, you know, at this stage in the country's history, he's still considered a foreigner or an immigrant or the son of immigrants or lesser than uh, the white power structure. And we see that in Godfather Part Two in that scene with the senator at the beginning, for sure. Not only do I think you're totally right, but you really made me see something in a way that I'd never seen it before, which I, I'm really, it was just great, which is, I'll tell you the piece that I was missing. I love this line about senators and presidents don't have people yeah. killed. Oh, who's being naive? Because he knows, and, and we know this too, and this is made during the Vietnam era. Yeah. You know, and like we, we there's all sorts of things that senators and presidents in America has done mm-hmm. that we would have believed weren't, they weren't supposed to do. And are doing. Yeah. And are doing. I didn't connect, which of course I should have, because they're right next mm-hmm. to each other, the line of being legitimate to who's being naive, right? which you connected for me. Because mm-hmm. he, if, if presidents and senators kill people just like Vito Corleone does, then, there's, then killing people doesn't mean you're not legitimate. Exactly. In his mind, there's no difference. Yeah. You know, they, because Americans will buy the lie of the facade because they don't want to know the truth. So he wants to come across in that same fashion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's so like, to me, what being legitimate means, mm. means not making your world and your life on committing crimes. Right, right. You know, but maybe that's not what he means. That's what I'm saying. It's a different definition of him. Um, yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're completely right. And then this moment. Trust me. That's all I can tell you about my business. <laughs> nice little plant. That, well, and it's... <sighs> Right here, he's 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 when you say trust me, that's all I can tell you. Well, you're not trustworthy. (laughs) Like, like, right, you should trust me. I mean, trust is the thing you got to give to. He's saying, I don't trust you. 
Right. Because you can't know about my business. And, and and this is why I go like, how much is he lying? You know? Yeah. And how much does he know that he's lying? Michael, why did you come here? Why? What do you want from me after all this time without even calling and writing? I came here because I need you. Because I care for you. Please stop it, Michael. Because I want you to marry me. Okay? I need you. And I love you. Which is what he wouldn't say on the phone in front of the guys. Right, right. good point. How much... Here, here's here, here's how I'll ask mm. this question. How much do you think when you first saw the movie and mm -hmm. you didn't know anything, mm -hmm. did you believe him? Yeah, sure, because I... I want to believe him. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes that the, sometimes you meet people in life and the flame burns forever. No matter when you see each other, you know, there are plenty of songs about that, that when you see that person again, the chemistry is still there. So to me, I bought it. But it, at this stage in the movie, you buy it. But then later, as things progress, you see that, uh, you know, he, he was basically using her to... Uh, further the overall goal of what he wanted to achieve with the family and with himself. I, I, it, it's funny because it, he seems, I have less and less sympathy with Michael. Oh yeah. Every time I watch the movie, mm -hmm. it, it, no less fascination with him. No less, yeah. it, you know, I'm, I'm completely involved with him, but now watching it now, the thought that had to me was like, I think not only is, does he not love Kay in the way that he's saying that he does, right. but I think he has specifically picked Kay because he knows he doesn't love her because of he course. doesn't want to be hurt again. Yes, absolutely a thousand percent. He picks her because he knows that he won't be a slave to her feelings and he won't be, a, he won't be, you know, uh, vulnerable or what he term what he imagines to be weak, which is emotional or whatever. He purposely chooses Kay for that reason, you know, she'll, and she fits the illusion of yes. what's of this and then having the fact that he mentions kids quickly it's because to be a don in an italian world you gotta have a family and so once again this is her fitting into what he's trying to create this image that he's trying to radiate you know well and that's why i go back to the line i've been back a year more i think mm -hmm. i think that's the pain of apollonia yeah of i course. think that's a year plus of just torture that he's now trying to compartmentalize and put behind him because no i love this person and we're gonna have children and we're gonna mm -hmm. I, I planned it all out it's all figured out Arzini's people chisel my territory and we do nothing about it pretty soon there won't be one place in brooklyn i can hang my hat and now we're back to Vito's office that is completely transformed because it's now the 50s yeah and there's a tv there and Vito's older and he's kind of looking at the fish and rather than being the powerful center of the scene where he was at the beginning of the movie he's kind of on the periphery yeah we got to protect ourselves uh, give me a chance to recruit some new men no i don't want to give barzini an excuse to start fighting but michael does not have clearly does not have the power that Vito does or anything like it yeah um, and, and it's such an uncomfortable scene and it gets more uncomfortable the more I've watched it because mm -hmm. Tessio's asking for help and Clemenza is asking for help. And Mike is not, um, he's not empathetic with them. He's yeah. not connecting with them. And so they naturally turn to the Godfather. Don Corleone, you once said that the day would come when Tessio and me could form our own family. Till today, I would never think of it. I must ask your permission. It's also really insulting to Michael. Mm -hmm. 
to do it right in front of Michael. Yeah. Yep. Because they're essentially saying, dad won't give me this. Maybe mom will give me this. Mom goes, trust your dad. And that's essentially what uh, Vito does. Well, it's, I'd say I take it even a step further, which mm-hmm. is that uh, you have you have made the prince the king and we we don't respect him at all. Yeah. And so we we're just turning away from him. Yeah. And I love his line. It's a great line. Well, Michael is now head of the family. And if he gives his permission, then do you have my blessing? Because the blessing is is warm. Yeah. It's friendly. It's family, but it's not power. The permission is in Michael. I will bless it if he gives permission. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, he doesn't have the same relationship with those two as as Vito does, right? Because right. those guys have been with him. Those are brothers yeah. from other mothers that he's lived and built this empire with uh, and trusted. Whereas Michael sees them as a means to an end. Again, everyone to Michael is a piece of the puzzle to put into a certain slot for him to achieve the overall goal of what he wants for his family. And everyone is in service to that, except for maybe his mom and dad, but everyone else, including Tom and Connie is in service to that. Well, and the thing is, is that Michael's brilliant. Yeah. But he's not brilliant enough to know that there is wisdom that comes with empathy. And And what I mean by that is that, a, br- a truly brilliant leader would understand the relationship with Clemenza and Tessio and Vito and that he doesn't have that. And then he would try to bridge that gap through sensitivity and empathy and understanding their position so that he can earn his place right. to replace Vito. But he doesn't do that. He just says, After we make the move to Nevada, you can break off from the Corleone family and go on your own. He doesn't help them with this. Right. And so again, they turn back to Vito. Forgive me, Godfather, but with you gone, me and Pete will come under Barzini's thumb sooner or later. And I hate that goddamn Barzini. <laughs> and again, man, this is where you see the power of Vito Corleone. He says, You have faith in my judgment? Yes. Do I have your loyalty? Yes, always, Godfather. Don't be a friend to Michael. Do as he says. And they sit down, and you couldn't be less... Uh, of a good leader than Michael is right yeah. now. Yeah. Because he is kind of dismissive. There are things being negotiated now that are going to solve all your problems and answer all your questions. That's all I can tell you now. You know, it's trust mm-hmm. me, don't ask me about my business. Yeah. It doesn't give him any respect. Yeah. And there are leaders like that. There are leaders that make their moves for the overall goal and they think you're replaceable uh, and they don't consult you on this stuff and make those moves and in the end expect you to live with it. Then he makes abrupt changes. Carlo, you grew up in Nevada. When we make our move there, you're going to be my right-hand man. Um, which, again, what did Vito? Vito had said, never let him into the family business. Yeah, yeah. And then he says, Tom Hagen's no longer consolidating. He's going to be our lawyer in Vegas. Which surprises and, Tom. Yeah. That's no reflection on Tom, but that's the way I want it. Besides, and this line is great. Besides, if I need help, who's a better consolidating than my father? Well, you just said it right. Good job. <laughs> I get it half the time. Um, <laughs> Vito shakes his head. Vito shakes hands as people are leaving. He touches. Yeah. He makes connections with everyone. You could see because you could see even too the way he says the thing about Tom. Yeah. Vito reacts of like, "Oh, I wish you hadn't said it quite so coldly." Right. Right. You know, but it's his son, so he's not going to correct his son. No, he can't. His son has to look like the king. Yeah. Yeah. He can't correct him. He literally just said, yeah. trust my judgment. He's in charge. And then even Tessio reaches his hand, his left hand, by the way, to shake mm-hmm. Mike's. 
And Mike barely shakes his hand. Yeah. It's yeah. so dismissive. The fact that Tessio lingers, that's a yeah. great hint. You know? Yep. Of where we're going to go. Yep. This is all the first time we see Al Nieri, who's going to be a big, our, one of our enforcers. Yes. Which is the same last name as the actual mob guy we had in Untouchables. Oh, right. Nieri. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, uh, why am I out? You're not a wartime consigliere, Tom. Things may get rough with the move we're trying. But again, he doesn't explain, and there's veto to soften the blow. I advise, Michael. I never thought you were bad consigliere. I thought Santino was a bad Don. Rest in peace. <laughs> Michael has all my confidence, as, as you do. But... Uh, there are reasons why he must have no part of what is going to happen. Which again, you see why Vito is a better leader than, than Mike. Exactly. Um, and what's wrong with telling Tom? I always found this to be a weird thing. Is it because he's a lawyer? Is it because I just don't understand why he doesn't tell Tom uh, what the situation is? And this doesn't get resolved, by the way, until Godfather 2, near the end of Godfather 2, this friction between them. I, I think there's two things. I think it's one, it's sort of like Kay having the letter and him saying, if I take that letter, it would yeah. be an admission of this stuff. Right. I think the hint is that if he's involved in any of the murders and stuff that's going to happen, he won't be able to be, be their lawyer in the yeah. same way anymore. I think that's the implication. But that's what fair. I actually think is that it's dramatic. Yes. Yes. You know, is that they did it for the movie. True. It, and and Tom, again, it's so terrible. Tom says, maybe I could help. You're out, Tom. Just coldly. Just yeah. coldly. Yeah. And again, there's a look from Vito of like, just sort of, dude, like, <laughs> couldn't you figure out a different way to say that? Yeah. And then everyone's out and Mike kind of let loosens his tie. And you can see all the pressure that he was under mm -hmm. in that meeting. Mm -hmm. And Vito comes behind him and he kind of pats him on the face. Mm -hmm. Very fatherly moment. Yeah. Let's go to Vegas. I think this is very much like going to, to Hollywood. You know what I mean? It's just this sudden change in tone. And we're, it's all second unit going through all the billboards and stuff like that. We see Martin and Lewis are playing. Uh, by the way, one of the other things that I never would have noticed that upsets Coppola, when the car pulls up, they didn't really have control of the space at the casino. And so the a couple of people inside the casino are clearly hippies. <laughs> <laughs> and you only see them for like, a, you know, ha half a second or something. But uh -huh. but it bugs uh, Coppola. <laughs> Fredo has gone full Vegas. <laughs> the jacket, the look, the everything. Yeah. <laughs> and opens the door and there's the band and the girls and Johnny Fontaine is there. Anything you want, kid. Anything. Huh? Who are the girls? That's for you to find out. Come on, And they get out and Mike, again, straight to business. Not like, hey, nice to see you, brother. And let's, you know, no chit chat. The Corleone family is thinking of giving up all its interest in the olive oil business. Settling mm -hmm. out here. Now, Mo Green will sell us his share of the casino and the hotel so it could be completely owned by the family. Tom? Hey, Mike, are you sure about that? Mo loves the business. He never said nothing to me about selling. Yeah, well, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. Uh, and then he has a little moment with Johnny. Mm -hmm. And this is basically setting up Frank Sinatra going to the casinos in Vegas and bringing all of the Rat Pack. Yeah, the Sands. Yeah. Doing his residency at the Sands, yeah. Sure, Mike. I'll do anything for my godfather. You know that. He doesn't say I'll do anything for you. Right, right. 
It's all the relationship to Vito. Yeah. Uh, and then in comes Mo Green, Alex Rocco. Mm -hmm. Love Alex Rocco. Hey, Mike. Hello, fellas. Everybody's here. Freddie, Tom, good to see you, Mike. How are you, Mo? All right. You got everything you want? The chef cooked for you special. The dancers will kick your tongue out and your credit is good. And this is sort of the Bugsy Siegelish sort of yeah. character. Yeah. My credit good enough to buy you out? Again, no subtlety. No, yeah. no plain, you know, trying to build the relationship or anything like that. It's transactional. Yep. And this How is much? my, I think this is Michael's version of small talk, Steve. Yeah. Because he's being playful, but serious. Corleone family wants to buy you out. The Corleone family wants to buy me out. No, I buy you out. You don't buy me out. And then I love how he frames this. He goes, I do you a favor and take Freddie in when you're having a bad time. And then you try to push me out. Wait a minute. You took Freddie in because the Corleone family bankrolled your casino because the Molinari family on the coast guaranteed his safety. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business, Mike. Talking about Freddie with him in the room like this, yeah. it's not cool. Yep. First of all, you're all done. The Coyote family don't even have that kind of muscle anymore. The Godfather is sick, right? You're getting chased out of New York by Bazzini and the other families. What do you think is going on here? You think you can come to my hotel and take over? I talked to Bazzini. I can make a deal with him and still keep my hotel. And then Michael, man, that cold, mm. dangerous Michael Corleone. Is that why you slapped my brother around in public? And Fre Fredo's like, oh, no, no that, that was nothing, Mike. I got a business to run. I got to kick asses sometimes to make it run right. We had a little argument, I, so I straightened him out. You straightened my brother out. He was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. None of the couples are getting any drinks. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. <laughs> And then Fredo, it's so because we've seen we saw Sonny speak out of turn. Yeah. And now Fredo is the worst because not only does he speak out of turn, but he goes to Tom. Tom, Tom, you're the conciliary and you can talk to the Don. He pulls a Clemenza and Tessio. Yeah. He goes to Tom once again. But see, and this is the thing. Michael has to earn the respect in the fans yes. and all these people don't want to give him the respect, but everyone else that they run to defers to Michael. So they realize there is no other option, but Michael in this situation. Well, and the thing is, Tom has earned people's respect. Yeah. Tom's been doing the business for the Don for a long time. Yep. Yep. And we've seen, because we saw him with Waltz in Hollywood, how yep. good he is at this job. Don is semi-retired and Mike is in charge of the family business. Now if you have anything to say, say it to Michael. And this is what's hard is that for Fredo, well, Mike's his younger brother. Yeah. And he hasn't accepted that Mike is now like his dad. Right. right. You know, that's not, does it make sense? Mike, you don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. And man, Al Pacino's so scary. Yeah. Fredo, you're my older brother and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. Yeah, it's so powerful that moment, but also the way Coppola shoots it, how it's over Michael's shoulder. Pacino mm -hmm. is turning to his left. Um, it's so even though he's we're looking down on him, it looks like such a very strong pos uh, power position to shoot him from. And it's chilling. It's absolutely chilling. Yeah, it, it is a terrifying moment because mm -hmm. you see what we're going to see in Godfather 2, you know. Mm -hmm. 
which is that, and what we're going to see at the end of this film is Michael has no compunction about killing essentially members of the family. Yeah. Whatever his view of what's best for the Corleone family, mm -hmm. even if those things actually are destroying the Corleone family, right, that's what he's right. going to do. So, Barzini will move against you first. He'll set up a meeting with someone that you absolutely trust, guaranteeing your safety. And at that meeting, you'll be assassinated. Seems amazing. Yep. It was a pickup. One <laughs> in the original script. Wow. And what they realized was that, oh, we don't ever have a scene with Michael and Vito alone together mm. in the movie. And they and it's interesting because they went like, we don't have there's these two amazing actors. Now, one of them is established as an amazing actor, one of them is proving himself to be this amazing actor, and we don't have them together. So they go, Oh, we need to have them have a conversation. And so Coppola called up his good friend. Bob Town, Robert Town, and said, can you write something for this scene? Hmm. And he wrote this scene. It's a great scene. So good. Um, and this is like a, there's no fancy camera work. Mm -hmm. There's no flair. It's, you got, you got two chairs. You got two great actors. You got great dialogue. And that's yeah. all it is. I like to drink wine more than I used to. Anyway, I'm drinking more. That's great screenwriting. It's yep. hard for me to explain why, but that dialogue is so natural and so interesting and revealing, has lots of thoughts in it. Your wife and children, are you happy with them? Very happy. I don't think he's very happy. Yeah. I hope you don't mind the way I, I keep going over this Passini business. No, not at all. I think that Michael has been studying at the, at the feet of Vito for a few years yeah. at this point. Agreed. It's an old habit. I spend my life trying not to be careless. Women and children can be careless, but not men. It's an old school guy. An old school guy, but it's also like taking the sexism out of the statement. Yeah. But yeah. but but like that is who you watch Robert De Niro in the first movie. Yeah. He is not careless. Yep. You know, everything that Vito does, Santino is careless. Yeah. He's looking at all the angles and only moving when he's totally sure. Mm. I would say that the how's your wife and kids, are you happy with them? Very happy. is very different from how's your boy. He's good. You know, he looks more like you every day. He's smarter than I am. Three years old, he can read the funny papers. I think he does care about his kid. Yeah. No, he does. His kids, yes. I don't think he cares about Kay. Not as much as he should, yeah. And it's not. And I don't think he's happy in his relationship with Kay, but I do think he, he cares about his kid. Yeah. I want you to raise to have a telephone, man. Check all the calls that go. You know, I did it already, Pop. You know, good man. I took care of that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. What is it, Pop? What's wrong? And then there's a pause. And Mike says, I'll handle it. I told you I can handle it. I'll handle it. Right. I don't think Vito is expressing doubt in Michael at all. Mm -hmm. I think he is. The, I, I'm drinking more wine. Mm -hmm. Are you happy with your kids? Tell right. me about your son. This is, you could be assassinated. Be more careful. I think all of this is a is is ways of him expressing his love for his yeah. son yeah. and his regret at the life that his son has had that is different from what he wanted. Right. There's a guilt to what yeah. he's doing because this is not what they had had planned. And, and they, that comes up uh, in the conversation in just a few seconds when he's right. When he says, I never wanted any of this for you, Michael. And I never, I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize. 
take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots. I don't apologize, that's my life, but I thought that... But when it was your time, that... that you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone. Governor Corleone. Something. Another person of which I had to look up. That's a it uh, means ninety five caliber, yeah. and it, and it's a euphemism. It's like saying you're a big shot. This wasn't enough time, Michael. It wasn't enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. We'll get there, Pop. No, you won't. First of all, you won't get there. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I, Brando's so good in that. Yeah. All the shit you want to talk about him coming unprepared to a set or overweight or whatever. I mean. This is why you cast him. This yeah. is why you cast him. And don't tell me anyone else can do it. Don't tell me. Like, there are just... I know that there are more talented actors than people believe there are, but I also know there are certain people that can only do certain things, and you cast those people, and you take the shit that comes along with it because they deliver scenes like this, moments like this that really touch you. Because that's, I mean, to me, when I see it now, the movie, Steve, that's my dad. That's my dad and I having our final conversations mm. before he passed, talking about the future, talking about what I need to do with my life, talking about giving him giving me some last pieces of advice before he passes. You know, even before, even the day he sent me, put he put me back on a plane back to LA four days before he died, he sat me down in the room for half an hour and gave me all this advice about life. Just wanted wow. to do it. One last gift, you know? And so- wow. When I see the scene now, it has more resonance to me because I see my dad in Vito for sure. It, well, and that's what makes this a great film, you yeah. know. And this is what this is what elevates it beyond the gangster film is that mm -hmm. you can see, even though these people are killing people and have these huge deals and money and complicated and all this stuff, yeah, you can see a real family and real love and the and and the basic story of I want something for my child. Yeah, I want something better than what I have. It's the immigrant story, you know. Absolutely. Just on what you said about uh, Brando, for me, you know, all of directing and a lot of life is just cost benefit analysis, you know, is that is this is how I look at it because maybe I'm more <laughs> like Michael. But but uh, is what am I going to get out of Brando? Yeah. And how much is how hard is that going to be? And the thing is, there's certain things that some actor can do where it's a look. It's just a small thing, a turn, a turn of a phrase that's worth a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a huge pain. It's like the shark doesn't work in Jaws and it's a huge pain in the ass, but you wouldn't have that movie go any other way. Yeah. Because that's yeah. how you get that movie. You know, same with the end of Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Shows up overweight. They don't have an ending. They're rewriting it. Well, that was, I mean, John Milius had written it ending where it's a huge battle scene. Yeah. yeah. Thank God we didn't have that ending. You know, um, there is a certain point where there's certain actors where you go, it ain't worth it. That's you know? true. That's true. I mean, I remember, remember when we did um, Some Like It Hot? Yeah. And um, Billy Wilder had vowed never to work with Marilyn again. Yeah. And he had to tell because she was so terrible on the set and couldn't remember lines, couldn't get through a take. He had to tell Jack Lemmon and um, Tony Curtis, you have to be perfect on every single take because whatever take Marilyn is good at, that's what's going to be in the movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, it, you know, showed up late. Tony Curtis said kissing her was like kissing Hitler. You know, like there's so much anger about her on the set. And yet Billy Wilder 
who vowed to never work with her again after seven year itch and after um, some like it hot said there'd be no some like it hot without Marilyn. Yeah. It had to be her in that movie. Now listen, whoever comes to you with this Barzini meeting, he's the traitor. Don't forget that. And he stands up and leaves Mike there thinking we're in the garden. Paramount didn't want to shoot this scene. (laughs) They didn't want to show the death of the Godfather. They wanted off camera. And Coppola, of course, imported some tomatoes from Chicago because they didn't have good tomatoes in New York. And, you know, it cost way too much money. But he's like, no, there have to be good looking tomatoes. You can't have the scene where the garden doesn't look right. It's just classic Coppola. (laughs) They have the kid with the spray thing and Vito sits and this was improv i mean this the the oh, yeah. orange peel in the mouth that's just a thing that uh brando did with his kids yeah it feels like it too it feels like yeah. an improv and the kid screams freaks yeah. out <laughs> and all of the chasing and laughing it's all them just playing and I, I again brando's this guy's 47 yeah 47 yeah insane his old brand his old veto is amazing yeah and he's playing and he's laughing. I remember the first time I saw this scene. I just, because it was so shocking to me when he fell. Yeah. And I just went, oh my God, he's dead. Yeah. Like, it's just a, it's a crazy, crazy death. Yeah. And as soon as he fell and the kid ran away and Coppola said cut, there's the guy on the set who represents the studio is the penny pincher guy. Mm-hmm. And he, they were against the scene the whole time. And he said, that's lunch, shut down the set. And they shut it down. Couldn't shoot anything else. Oh my God. And Coppola, fortunately he had two cameras on it. <laughs> if he hadn't had two cameras on it, they wouldn't really have the scene. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's the funeral. It's gorgeous how this is all set up. All the cars coming up, all the flowers, the contrast between the color and the flowers and the cement and the, and the marble. There was supposed to be a two day shoot. They only had one. Hmm. Everyone's getting out of the cars and we see all these characters we've seen before, including Barzini. We see Clemenza, we see Tessio and they're all, they put their flowers on the, on the grave and you see Pacino just sitting there next to his mother and the power that is radiating off this guy. Yeah. I think his, you know, you, I, I think you brought it up before your, you love the transformation of Arthur in yeah. uh, Excalibur, yeah. um, Orson Welles, obviously in Citizen Kane. Yes. The distance that, that he go, those both have a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is just how he sits and his yeah. face. Yeah. The haircuts are maybe a little bit different, but man, the power he radiates just sitting there. It's a quiet intensity. Yeah. And Tessio, Tessio walks up, leans in. Mike, can I have a minute? Michael reacts. And I think at this moment, he already knows. Yes. Yes, he does. Barzini wants to arrange a meeting. He says we can straighten any of our problems out. You talk to him? Yeah. I can arrange security. And Michael says, All right. And Tessio walks away. Tom leans in and asks, You know how they're going to come at you? They're arranging a meeting in Brooklyn. Tessio's ground. Where I'll be safe. And you see everyone shaking Barzini's hands. And you see Tessio talking to Barzini. And Tom obviously understands this as well, because he always he says, I always thought it would have been Clemenzo, not Tessio. It's the smart move. Tessio was always smarter. And Michael is not angry. And then he says, but I'm going to wait until after the baptism. 
I've decided to be godfather to Connie's baby. And there's just a look from him. Yeah. Because he's already decided. He yeah. already knows everything that he's going to do. Do you think at this moment he knows that he's going to kill Carlo? Yeah, of course. I, I think he knew. I think he knew he was going to kill Carlo when he found out that Carlo set up Sonny from like back in Italy. Yeah. I think he's always, he's just, Michael's just a very patient guy in ways that other people aren't, which is why, you know, for whatever his lack of empathy, he's an incredibly good leader. And that's because he's patient and not a lot of people are. And so I think he knew he was going to kill Carlo uh, way back when. You know, it's funny. We, 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 we disagreed slightly on our definition of whether Santino would be a good, was a good mm. Don or not a good Don. I think I, I think I have to change the way I'm saying it. I think, mm. I don't think Michael's a good Don. Okay. I think he has just like Santino, he has elements of what makes a good Don mm. or he's not a great Don. I guess that's the point is that yeah. Santino is great for war. If it's war, he's great. Right, right, right. He doesn't have the patience. He doesn't have the, the the ability to think ahead, the manipulation that Michael has. But we've talked about all these things Michael lacks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, human connection, compassion, uh, you know, all of those things about understanding people. And because his goals are so empty, really. Yeah. He's gonna destroy this family. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're at church. This sequence is just remarkable the way it's constructed. Yeah. I, I teach this in class as, as use of montage, which means that we're not just linear, you know, all in one place, scene and action. We're cutting all over the place. The whole structure of the way it works is amazing. The way it compresses time. Mm -hmm. We see the Kate, uh, K come up with the baby. Michael follows. They take the bonnet off the baby up at the altar. And this, of course, is Sofia Coppola. Yeah, yeah. She is the baby. Uh, by the way, Sophia's mom was not happy in the way Diane Keaton was holding her baby. <laughs> She's like, hold the head up. <laughs> and we see all the pieces getting set up. We see an automatic weapon being put together and we're hearing the service in Latin. Ego te in Christi We see Clemenza with a box polishing the car. We see a guy getting a shave. We see a guy in black getting dressed. And we see all of these pieces coming together. And there is the organ music, the ominous organ music. There's just something so powerful about hearing the priest say, Michael, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do. And I, I think part of what makes it so great is the, the contrast between the Latin that we've been hearing and that New York accent yeah. when he speaks in English. And the organ music, which has been building and building, now drops out. And Michael says, I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? I do. By the way, Coppola says none of this worked until they added that organ music. <laughs> That's good. That it just all came together with the music. We see our guy who was shaving, he leaves the barbershop. Barzini's coming down the stairs. The cop is writing a ticket. Clemenza is at the top of the stairs. Mo Green is getting a rub down. And again, the music drops out and we hear, Michael Francis, Ritzi, do you renounce Satan? There's a huge music sting as the guys come out of the elevator and Clemenza opens fire on them.
And then the music comes up again as Mo puts on his glasses and he's shot through the eye. Uh, by the way, this was a really dangerous uh, effect to pull off because I, I meant to ask you this because the squib looks dangerous as hell to be in your eye, for God's sakes. Yeah. So here's here's how they did it. There's two two the glasses have two tubes. Okay. Um, one tube has the blood in it, and the other tube has a little tiny BB that breaks the glass of the glasses. <sighs> so and that's going away from the eye. Right. So it goes, so break the glass and then the other tube shoots the blood. But yeah, it's a really scary effect. It's really well done though. It's great. And and this goes to that thing that Coppola said is that every murder should have a detail that's interesting. And they all do. The elevator, the uh, shot through the eye, the next one's going to be the one in the revolving door. And then guy bursts through the door and machine guns two people in bed, which is absolutely brutal. That's Barzini and his mistress. Yeah. No, Barzini's coming. I'm sorry, down the sorry, that's yes. Italian. It's Italian is mystery. Yeah. And all his pumps. I do renounce them. And again, the cop kneeling to make the shot. That's the yeah. detail that makes you remember it. Michael Rizzi, will you be baptized? I will. And the holy water is poured over the baby's head as we see the dead bodies. And we hang on each body, I think, in terms, this is just my instincts as an editor. Everyone stays on those bodies a beat longer than is correct in terms mm. of editing. Okay. I know I know that sounds really weird, but it just, it just holds, you're waiting a little bit longer because it wants you to make this impression. Yeah. Michael Ritzy, go in peace and may the Lord be with you. Amen. What a sequence. It's the hypocrisy of these people and their adherence to religion. This is Coppola basically calling out the mob, calling out the mafia for their cloaking themselves or calling out really anybody, any hypocritical person. Senators and presidents. Senators and presidents. That's right. Who sit there and talk about family values or talk about their love of God or Christianity or their faith and then turn around and uh, you know uh, pass legislation that sends young men and women to their deaths unnecessarily or um, favors one section over another, or because someone's because a section has more has a people of color, they don't mind uh, passing laws that affect them negatively while helping uh, people who are white. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things that people in power do and then cloak themselves in religion and cloak themselves in God. It's the hypocrisy of it. And even in 1972, and you're right, Steve, you mentioned earlier, this is Vietnam. At this the area of Vietnam, rather, in 1972, when he's making this film, this is his shot at all the hypocrisy of these senators and legislatures, legislators and Nixon, all these people crowing about their love of God and then implementing policies that hurt large swaths of their fellow human beings who they're supposed to love according to the rule of God and the law of God. It's the hypocrisy of it all. So here's the here's the thing I was thinking about in and my, the hypocrisy my, of the mafia. Sorry, Steve, and the hypocrisy of, of the mafia. Yeah, sorry, hundred percent. Um, who are frequently very connected to religion. I mean, yes, they Catholic are people. Yes. So, um, there are if we we could assume that there is a scale of different kinds of hypocrisy. There are the people. All these people are hypocritical in their believing they're religious, but some of them genuinely love their religion 
think of themselves as religious people. Yeah. Think of themselves as good people and yet are doing all these horrible things. Yes. And they don't see the hypocrisy. Or they don't want to. Right. Well, this is well, this is why I say there's a scale. Okay. Um, and then there's some people who know they're not religious and they're just using the religion as a shield because that's the facade they have to put up. But they're but mm -hmm. so they're more aware of the hypocrisy, it's more consciously hypocritical. Yeah. Uh, where is Michael on that scale? In other words, is he religious? Uh I don't know if he's religious. That's a great point, Steve. We don't see him do anything overtly religious. Yes, he does get married uh, in the tradition there in Italy. Sure. And yes, of course, he's here. as. Uh, but we don't see him get his own kids baptized. This is Connie's kids that are getting baptized. But you imagine they're I'm baptized. I'm sure they were baptized. Right. But that's all just to fit in against uh, fit in again as, uh, you know, part of the being a Don in the mafia world. You have to be religious. You have to be into this religion, all of that, you know, but it's a. Uh, it's uh, I don't know if he's religious necessarily, to be honest with you. I think he thinks it's something he needs to portray in order to maintain his status. I, I really don't. I've gone back and forth about this question because I think mm -hmm. about because what I'm thinking about is what is Michael thinking about when he says I do renounce him? Yeah, well, it's great that the camera lingers on him when he answers these questions and the fact that he takes half a beat before he responds. Right. There's this. You know, it's all it's very sorry, it's very similar to the shot, they're very similar to the moment with um with Salazzo and and the police chief because it's that moment when he's hearing the train screeching and everything. As I say this, there's no turning back. As I shoot right. Salazzo, there's no turning back. As he says this in the church, there is no turning back. All the five head of the five families, if it goes the way I want it to, are going to be killed. I am now fully in power in New York and also. Carlo is the last one to go. Yeah, I really, I really struggle with this idea because on the one hand, I think he has to be thinking about the fact that I, as I'm saying, I'm renouncing Satan and all his works. Yeah. I am literally having a whole bunch of people killed. Like, so he had, he's not an idiot. He has right. to have that thought. Right. But then I also think that Michael is so self-righteous. Yeah. You know, and we'll see it in the next film as well. He always thinks he's doing what is the right thing to do. Yes. For the family, not necessarily whether that's morally the right thing to do is a more complicated question. Good point. Yes. You know, I'm doing what is necessary. This has to be done. And we're outside the church and, and everyone's, you know, celebrating this great uh, christening and everyone's supposed to head off to Vegas. And then Carlos, can't go to Vegas. And Carlo, who has now been given trust, he's like, no, I, of course, whatever you need me to do, Mike. Yeah. I'll do it. By the way, one of the women there is um, Mrs. Coppola. I just drew a blank on her name. Uh, she's in this crowd scene and she gives uh, Sophia oh, wow. a kiss as they're coming out of the church. <laughs> now we're back home and Tessio is getting ready for us all to go to Brooklyn for this meeting. Sal, Tom, the boss says we're coming in a separate car. He says for you two to go on ahead. Hell, he can't do that. It screws up all my arrangements. And then he turns to Tom, and I love that Duvall takes a step back. Yeah. And says, I can't go either, Sal. <laughs> Which is, of course, what happened, the reverse of what happens with him and Salazzo, right? Yep. And, and as he steps back, a bunch of guys kind of step mm -hmm. in towards Tessio. Mm -hmm. And he looks, and he reacts, mm -hmm. and he looks at Tom, who reacts, and there's a pause, and then... Abe Vigoda's great in this he is. moment. He's so good. Tell Mike it was only business. 
always liked him. Which I think is true. Yeah. Ish. Yes, because the way he said it, I always liked him. There's a kind of punch. And then it's a moment of defiance. And then there's this little half a pause. And then he asks Tom, can you get me out of this, Tom? Just for old time's sake. Can't do it, Sally. And there's a smirk on Tom's face as if he almost respects the fact that Tessio would would try, at least try. Do you know what I'm saying? So he appreciated that. Well, and we don't know how Tom feels about Tessio. I mean, Tom also plays his emotions very close to his vest. Yeah. But he grew up with this guy, too. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know how that can feel. Right. And and Tom thought it was going to be Clemenza that would betray him. So he could he 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 expected that he was going to be playing out this scene with Clemenza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. I love the moment too that Tessio reaches to shake Tom's hand mm-hmm. and they don't let him. Yeah. You know, because he could be about to kill Tom. Right. You know, we can't trust that guy. And now it's Michael and Carlo. You have to answer for Santino, Carlo. Who is Carlo on the phone with, do you think? Mm. That's I a think great he's, question. I think he's calling Barzini. Really? I, oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. A thousand percent. I think he's calling Barzini. I think he's like, because uh, when he comes in, he immediately like hangs up the phone. He's not calling Connie. He's calling Barzini to let him know, hey, I'm in the, I'm going to be going to Vegas or I'm going to be even deeper into this situation with Michael. What do you need me to do? But he doesn't know that Barzini has been killed by Michael. And rem- and when was the scene progresses and Michael tells him, look at the reaction again from uh, Carlo. He is just, that's it. That was his last ace to play and it's dead. It never occurred to me, but it's perfectly possible. Yeah. Here, here, here's the thing. The first time I saw this movie, it never, I didn't understand that Carlo had f- fingered Santino. <laughs> and by this point, I had really forgotten about it. I mean, this is a long movie and a whole bunch of stuff has happened. And it's, and when he, so when he says it, it's like, wait, what? But then the second time and every subsequent time, it's so obvious because how would they have known? He had to be fingered by someone. And the only one who got him to move is Connie because she was beaten by Carlo. Yeah. So it has to be Carlo who did it. You fingered Sonny for the Barzini people. Ah, I knew a farce you played with my sister. You think that could fool the Carleone? <laughs> Just the way he says it. Ah. Uh... And Mike is very soft and very dangerous, and he sits down next to him. Barzini's dead. So is Philip Tattaglia. Mo Green. Stracci. Cuneo. Today I settle all family business, so don't tell me you're innocent, Carl. Yeah. He hands him that drink. And he puts his arm on him, and he pats his shoulder. Don't be afraid, Carl. Come on, you think I make my sister a widow? I'm godfather to your son, Carl. By the way, you know how I was saying he doesn't have empathy and he doesn't understand people or how to play <laughs> yeah, them? This exactly. scene he does. He does. He knows what he's doing. Yes. Oh, yeah. hundred yeah. percent in this scene. And he helps him take that drink and Carlos yeah. crying. Only don't tell me you're innocent because it insults my intelligence. It makes me very angry. The softness of the way he says it makes me very angry is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. He said, who approached you, Tatalia or Barzini? It was Barzini. And there's almost no reaction. Okay. I think, I don't think he was 100%. I think he, he knew, but this confession was important. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was 1,000% important. You know why? Because it was his dad that told him. 
Mm. It was his dad that told him. It was his dad that said who was going to betray him. All of that. And so this is the final confirmation of his father's uh, advice. Yes, it was Barzini. It was not Tatiya. Tatiya is a pimp. It was Barzini the whole time. And having Carlo uh, confirm that it was Barzini is a final, like, you know, homage to his father in that moment. And, yeah. And you know what? It just occurred to me. Yeah. It it justifies what he just did. He literally just killed Barzini. Yeah. Well, Barzini killed his brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. You know, I did what was right. And as soon as he gets the answer, though, uh, Steve, he treats him like a piece of shit on his foot. Oh. There's a car waiting for you outside. Take it to the airport. I'll call your wife. Tell her what flight you're on. Please come on. Get out of my sight. He tries to hug him, and he's like, ah, get out of my sight. And they help him on with this because he got what he wanted. He got yep. the confession. That's right. You're done. Yeah. He's done with you. Yep. Yeah. And they head out to the car, and Carlo gets in the front seat, and there's Clemenza behind him, and it happens real fast. <laughs> and Clemenza pulls him into the back seat with the car moving, which is amazing, and the yeah. feet kicking out that windshield. And again, these are the details. You will, ne- I will never forget that death. Yep. Yep. It is so powerful. Yeah. Um, by the way, Dean Tavalaris put uh, gravel ar- around on the pathways around the compound because it looked nice. And yeah. Coppola thought it was a lot more work than maybe was necessary, but it did look okay. And then when when they walk away after this murder yeah. and you hear the sound of the feet on the gravel, Coppola was really grateful that they had it because it adds so much to the scene. And we're back in the office and in comes Connie screaming. Michael, you lousy bastard. You killed my husband. You waited until Papa died so nobody could stop you, and then you killed him. Ugh. Here's my question. Yeah. She says everybody blamed him for Sonny. Yeah. Does she know that he fingered Sonny and got uh, her brother killed? I mean, I imagine she might suspect or might know, but doesn't want to accept it. Like, I'm like... You know, like when when you're in love with someone, you're blind to all the shit they're doing, uh, especially if they're not a good person because you love them. And so uh, this situation, I mean, remember, she's the one that tried to tell Sonny, no, it was my fault. It was my fault. I said something wrong and he hit me and I deserved it. So clearly she's for whatever reason, she's a woman constructed in a certain way to be in a battered relationship uh, and uh, to be a battered woman rather in a relationship. And in this moment, even now, she's like defending Carlo even at the end. And who knows, maybe Carlos stopped beating her after the Sonny situation so that they wouldn't uh, finger him anymore, what have you. Maybe he was more careful because he thought he could get now in with the Don, in with Michael. Um, and so she is even more adamant that uh, Carlo is not to blame. So here's what I didn't say this before, but I'll say it now, which is mm-hmm. um, I never had the thought that Carlo was calling Barzini, which makes perfect sense. And he could have been selling the Corleone family out oh, this whole time. Totally. Makes perfect sense. In my brain, because we don't see any of this, right, I right. think Carlo has been acting like a really good boy yep. ever since Mike came back. And oh, I yeah. think his relationship with Connie has been better because he's been on his best behavior. Yep. Now, he might have been on his best behavior and been selling them out to Barzini at the same time. It's very possible. Right. I this time There's no knowing. Uh, but this time watching it, I felt more like Connie did know. She she knew just as well as everyone else did yeah, that he yeah. sold Sonny out, but she's still holding on to the marriage. Mm-hmm. It's not that she it's not not exactly denial. It's yeah. more like I need this marriage. Yep. 
And she's and then, she, and Kay is there in the room trying to comfort her. And you stood godfather to our baby, you lousy, cold-hearted bastard. Which is totally true and a hundred percent fucked up. Yes. And there's shot on Michael, and he's the whole shot's on Michael. He's having no reaction. We're not out in coverage. We're not seeing Kay and Connie. We're just looking at Michael. I don't know how many men he had killed with the collar. Read the papers. Read the papers. That's your husband. That's your husband. And Michael goes to embrace her. Yeah. Oof. And she almost kind of falls into his arms for a second. Right. And then screams and pulls away. And Mike says, and the look on Diane Keaton's face is amazing Mm -hmm. because I really think, and this is a whole conversation of why, when he came to get her at the school, did she actually decide to marry him? Yeah. Cause she knew, she knew then. Yes. She knew, she knows he killed Salazzo. She might not have admit it. Right. right. She knows it. And at this moment, that cold look, all these guys are dead, you know, cause it's in the papers. Carlo is dead. His, he literally stood godfather, godparents for the kid and now killed the dad. Man. Michael, is it true? Don't ask me about my business, Kate. Is it true? So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If you didn't kill Carlo, it wouldn't make any sense to say, don't ask me about my of business. Of course. Because yeah. it's not your business. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The only way that Carlo's death is your business is if you killed him. Yeah. <laughs> is it true? Don't ask me about my business. No. And he hits that table. And it's the only time in this movie that we see explosive Al Pacino. Yeah. I mean, it is. But she doesn't lot. back down. No. She doesn't back down. She says, is it true? This one time. This one time I let you ask me about my affairs. And again, she asks, is it true? Long pause. And he says, no. Again, when you're in love with someone, you excuse a lot of shit because you're super in love with them. And she was clearly more in love with Michael than Michael was ever in love with her. Of course. And so when she like the, the relief and the tears and the smile that comes over her face is her telling herself, Oh, I did pick the right man. I did have kids with the right man. Cause that's the thing. Remember this is 1940s. Where is she going to go? Do you know what I'm saying? She has yeah. kids with this man. She's chosen to be part of this man. Who's part of the mafia. Uh, like who knows what she had to endure telling her parents that she was marrying Michael Corleone for God's sakes. Oh yeah. And everything that goes along with that. So the mm-hmm. amount of upheaval that her life would have to go through if she was to actually accept that this man was guilty for the things that he did at this time in her life uh, would have been almost overwhelming. And Godfather 2, not so much, but here, overwhelming. And she's relieved, and they smile, and they embrace, and we hear the music rising, and she says, I guess we both need a drink, and she moves outside of the office. And watch Al Pacino's face as he watches her go and leans on the desk. Yeah. You can see, because we all, of course, we all know that he's lying. Yeah. And him, it's got to be quite a thing to go, I'm going to spend my entire life living a lie to my wife. It's also proof of how little respect he must have for her. Yes. Because she's so easily fooled. And maybe in that moment, if you want to kind of read into the look he gives her, she represents America to him, right? Yes. This 
these people who are willingly uh, engaged in being lied to and are okay with it because they can't face the truth of the situation sometimes. In his view, what he sees, I'm not saying that's an overall judgment. I'm saying that might be what he's thinking in that moment when he looks at Kay and what she represents. You know, and I and I think at this moment she totally buys this. I mean, but you know, oh, yeah. all evidence to the contrary, everything that she's known in these years of being with the Corleone family, everything that's happened. I think in this moment, as she walks out of the office, she's like, "Oh, I, you know, this guy I love, it is okay." And the camera. Right is with her as she walks out of the office, but she goes out of focus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Michael, inside the office, framed perfectly by that doorway, remains in focus. And we see the men come in, and there is Clemenza, and he kisses Michael's hand. Yeah, kisses the ring. Kisses Kisses the ring, ring, and he says, Antonioni. And Mike holds his hand up for someone else to kiss it. Can Can you imagine the level of power <laughs> we're gonna actually have someone kiss our hand i mean i know? can imagine it i don't <laughs> anticipate it ever happening for me but i can certainly <laughs> imagine it uh but yeah i mean that moment is so um yeah i mean you use the word powerful over and over again but how else can you describe it uh you know life-changing um effective overwhelming chilling all those adjectives or descriptive descriptive words are are uh in play here and powerful as well because it's Clemenza who does it. It's important because remember in that right. same office, Clemenza tried to undercut Michael, tried to beg the Don to give him his own family. So it's very um, symbolic that Clemenza is the first one. And because Clemenza was essentially, uh, you know, um, uh, Vito Corleone's right-hand man, more than Tessio, yes. it was Clemenza. And so having Clemenza, because it doesn't tell Tessio to kill uh, Sonny doesn't tell t- send Tessio to kill the kid. It's Clemenza, Paul yeah. to kill Paul. So it's Clemenza is the muscle in essence uh, to a degree uh, there. And so having him bend down, and then of course Neri and everybody else doing that, it's so symbolic. He is officially now the Godfather. And I don't think this would have happened if he had failed at killing the five heads of the five families. Agreed. The the five families. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's nothing insincere or false about Clemenza going Don Corleone. Mm-hmm. I think he is a hundred percent on board with Michael. Yep. As much as he wasn't on board in this, just as you say, in the same office just a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about this shot is it's it's so painterly. I mean, you know, uh, Coppola's whole idea is that this is a, a story about a king and his three sons and about succession. Right. And this shot is very much like the throne, you know, a shot into the throne room and the supplicants right. coming and kneeling before the king. And it's so perfect. It's so powerful. And then we cut to Kay's face mm-hmm. as she watches this. It's dread. Because in this moment, she, not only does she know, mm-hmm. I think, that he killed his brother-in-law, but she knows that in the moment that he said one time, I'm going to tell you about my affairs, yeah. that he just lied to her face. Yep. And Kay looks back as they slowly close the door on the new Godfather. And I want to make a, a, a comment about this moment because it's very important to me when I watch the movie now as a cinephile. That moment, remember, think about the searchers. The yes. door is closed on John Wayne because that's the end of the old West and the new West is coming. 
K. The door is closed on K because that's the end of the innocence of K. And it's the end of this idea of that um, kind of naive approach, in her own words, to the world. It is them shutting the door on K, shutting the door. And it's Michael finally shutting the door on the possibility of a life that isn't in the mafia, of a life that would have been something outside of the world of crime and his dad's life and his dad's family, rather. Uh, It would have been. So that's it's I always juxtapose those. And I wonder if Coppola, who is such a massive student of film, had used that moment as an homage to John Ford and the Searchers. I, I never thought about it before, but I, I'm almost certain that you're right. I mm. think that it is so similar. And the thing, too, with John Wayne's character, after the experience he's been through in The Searchers, he's broken on some level. He cannot go into the house. Yeah, you know, right. he was he's permanently separated. And that's kind of what that shot is telling us. And in this shot, it's the same thing. There is a separation that occurs. And, and the thing, too, I'm going to say something that I kind of thing I rarely say, you know, I'm. I, I'm not good at ranking things or putting, saying what order stuff mm-hmm. goes into, but I might say this might be the greatest final shot of Ooh. any movie, period. Wow. Or final two shots. The shot of Michael in the doorway, Don Corleone, mm-hmm. and the reverse on K as the door is closed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yes, there's the sled in Citizen Kane. Yes, there's... I, I mean, there are many, obviously, the, the Space Baby in 2001. There are all sorts of amazing final moments in film. Mm. But I can't think of anything that encapsulates so perfectly what this film is about. Mm. You know, there's that line, which I think is the key to the whole movie, where Michael at the at the wedding says, that's my family, Kay. That's not me. Right. And then we, you know, we contrast that with this shot where, no, it is exactly him. He's mm-hmm. embraced mm-hmm. that. I think the whole movie you can see in this shot. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out this thought as I think about it now, but he, this idea of family, that's my family. That's not me. Uh, It has been reversed, I guess, as you just said, because now these people coming in and kiss his hand, that's his family. Kay isn't. And I wonder if that's the turn there uh, with what you just said, if that's the reversal. Well, that's what's, that's what's so, difficult about yeah. this guy because he literally literally just killed yeah the father of his godson the husband mm-hmm. of his sister he's mm-hmm. murdered his family this is this is the level that of which that which is willing to go to quote unquote protect his family or his interests you know yeah there's that there's that you know uh quote you know i will burn this village in order to save it uh-huh. You know, I mean, what what has become of Michael right. is so stunning. And it's and this is, you know, again, this is why this is a great film. It is an mm-hmm. undeniably great film because just this last shot, just these last two shots, we could talk about for a long time and their meaning right. and their power. Yeah. Um, so they 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 finished shooting this. This was a 62 day shoot. It cost six point five million dollars. Godfather mm-hmm. 2 is going to cost $11 million, almost twice as much money. Um, they're editing it up in San Francisco. And Bob Evans told Coppola, if you don't bring me a movie that's under two hours and 10 minutes, we're going to take it out of your hands. Now, their cut was two hours and 40 minutes. And so they just 
cut the hell out of it. They cut 30 minutes out of it. They get it to, you know, two minutes, two hours, nine minutes, 58 seconds or something. So it's just under. He takes his reels. He flies down to L.A. He shows them the cut. And <laughs> Evans' response is he says, I hired you to make a movie and you gave me a trailer. And he says, we're going to take it out of your hands. <laughs> it was like, wait a minute. You said, if I didn't get under 210, you're going to take it out of my hands. And now I give you 210 and you're going to take it out of my hands. Hold on a minute. I got a different cut. He goes back up to the San Francisco, puts together the two hour and 40 minute cut, yeah. shows it to them. And of course they love it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and Bob Evans says, that's how I save the Godfather. <laughs> you know? Of course he does. That's how the kid stays in the picture, man. Um, what, what's what's funny is in the midst of this, Coppola is editing the film and he sees the French connection mm. and goes, our movie's terrible, you know, because wow. it's because he's like our movie sold fashion. It's slow. The camera doesn't move around. It's not gritty, you know, because the French connection is fast paced and gritty and just a whole other thing. So he thinks yeah. I've blown it. I'm, I'm, I made this stupid old fashioned movie. And the assistant editor who's sitting in the room says to Coppola, yeah, you're totally right. This is sorry, Steve. That's the way creatives are, aren't they? They're always looking at what someone else is doing. And if they are achieving success with that, they look at what their product is and go, Oh, they're not gonna love it like they love that. And it's it's you know, it's a horribly insecure profession. No matter how much greatness you create, you're always worried that either A, you can't create it, or B, you can't repeat it. Uh, and that's the the horrible truth of this life. So if you're listening to us and you want to get into films and making films, just know this is the life. You know, Unless you've got a really well-adjusted emotional well-being, this is the life. And it's a tough life to endure sometimes. Well, and I'll say something else is that I don't know at what point he saw French Connection or where he was in mm, the editing process. Right. It might very well have been terrible. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, for those of you oh, who the have movie. not, yeah, yeah, yeah. for those yeah. of you who have not edited a film, <laughs> it's a really painful and difficult process. And when you first put it together, it won't work, and it's mm -hmm. terrible. And you just are so brought face to face with everything you screwed up when you shot it. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but a friend of a friend had directed like an off Broadway play. And Steven Spielberg had gone to see the off-Broadway play and said, mm -hmm. this guy is great. And he said, I want to have a meeting with him. So they said, which, I mean, you imagine like, you know, this happens to you. And at the time, the guy had finished the play. And now he was directing his first little independent film. And so, you know, he flies out to L.A., goes on to the Amblin offices. There's Steven Spielberg. And Spielberg says, oh, I, I love your play. And I hear you're making this movie. How's it going? And the guy says, well, to be honest with you, I'm in the middle of the post and I just I, I just feel like I've wasted my I've ruined it. It's terrible. It's never going to work. It's just awful. And Spielberg says, I've been making movies for 40 years. Every single one of my films felt that way in post. <laughs> that's true. And that's true, man. It yeah. just I, and I know you everyone out here is going, yeah, but you got Brando and Pacino and Gordon Willis photography and, you know, I'm sure it must look great. And I'm sure it didn't. I'm yeah. sure there were things in it where at certain points where it's just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work until finally you find a way to make it work. Yeah. Um, the one thing that Bob Evans in the studio didn't like was the music. They hated the music. And part of it is they wanted modern music because love story 
which was their last big oh, hit, yeah. had a huge soundtrack that made tons of money. And Copas, of course, says it's another battle. No way. You <laughs> cannot put modern music on this movie. It will ruin it. And he says, look, let's take it to a screen test. And if the audience likes the music, we keep it. And if they hate the music, we'll dump it. And of course, the audience loved the music. Yeah. And Bob Evans again back down. Um, saying that this movie is a hit is just a massive understatement. Obviously, uh, it is the highest grossing film of 1972. It is briefly the highest grossing film ever made. Wow soon to be eclipsed by the sting and then jaws and star wars came after that so it wasn't it wasn't the biggest grossing film for very long but 287 million at the box office the reviews are fantastic across the board and coppola of course in the midst of this he's still desperate for money because he's way in <laughs> debt so he has to immediately take the gig writing the script for the great gatsby for bob evans yeah. Um, and apparently the director who I don't remember who directed that movie didn't like uh, Coppola's script and was like, this guy is terrible. Like, why did you make me hire this guy? And then the Godfather hits and suddenly <laughs> Coppola is bigger than anybody else. Yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg sees the Godfather and decides he should quit as a director. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But and I go like Steven Spielberg is a confident dude. If yeah. you could discourage him, that's a lot. Um, yeah. Of course, it won Best Picture. Uh, uh, Brando won Best Actor. He mm -hmm. declined the award and sent um, a Native American, such as Little Feather, Little, yeah, Little Feather, in in place to uh, to accept the award and to object to Hollywood's depiction of Native Americans, which certainly is something you could object to, particularly at that time. Yeah, um, but it's also one of those you know weird yeah Oscar moments. What I didn't realize is Pacino boycotted the ceremony. Oh, I didn't know that. Why? Yeah, because he was nominated for supporting actor and oh. he felt he should be nominated for best actor because he has more screen time than Brando, which is true. Yeah. And I actually think, you know, if if, if the Godfather is anybody's story, it's Michael's story. That's for sure. You know, but it's Brando and Pacino's a nobody. And then the weird thing that happens is Khan, Pacino and Duvall are all nominated yeah. for best supporting actor so they kind of cancel each other out and, and 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 they lost to joel gray from cabaret mm. who's amazing in cabaret yeah um and and this is one of those weird years because coppola did not win best director yeah best director goes to bob fossey for cabaret which is ridiculous but whatever <laughs> not the cabaret is a bad movie it's not a bad movie but it ain't fucking godfather you know? well that's the th i mean like i think in terms of being aggressively daring, I'm going to put it that way. Yeah. Cabaret is more aggressively daring in the way that it, it's a more unusual. You know, Godfather is so traditional in a lot of the ways that it's filmed, mm -hmm. but there's no, I don't think there's any comparison between the two movies. Yeah. And there might've been bias here, you know, towards um, a mafia movie, a crime movie yeah. like this, you know, cause this is not like the middle of the seventies. This is just the beginning of the seventies. So maybe there was, cause he obviously, I think he wins it for uh, Godfather two, doesn't he? Yes, so, so, so yeah. So like in, in this one, maybe they felt like, Oh, it's a young punk kid and whatever. And maybe this isn't the, you know, and he's kind of, you know, kind of making comments about it and let's go to something like, you know, Bob Fosse, who was in the industry for a long time. Many people knew him and maybe it was about that, you know, as well. I mean, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I yeah, sorry, sorry, Steve. Yeah. No, you go ahead. You... I'm saying I, I, as I get older, man, I care about award shows less and less because 
um, you realize and you hear about, and especially when you work in this industry, man, you hear the stories of the politicking that goes on behind the scenes, and it really removes the authenticity of the award and the awarding of the award, which you can fool yourself like Santa Claus is something pure and real. And oftentimes it isn't often. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't mean it doesn't still mean that the best picture does. It doesn't mean that the best picture still doesn't win. It just means that like the politicking people do to uh, studios do and to make these movies or these actors or these directors or producers or whoever win awards. It's like, it takes away some of the joy of it being an authentically um, organic uh, voting process. And it's sad. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think that's just, it's just, as you say, it's like growing a little bit more mature, knowing a little bit more about the mm-hmm. industry because it means something, but it doesn't mean what we thought it meant as mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. We thought mm-hmm. it was like, this is the best movie of the year. Yeah. It's undeniably best. Undi- yeah, yeah. Which it's not. It, right. In this case, it clearly is. Yes. Um, uh, Coppola, of course, ran one for screenplay um, and uh, it was nominated for costumes, editing and sound, which it lost all of them to Cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> which again cabaret is a, in terms of daring editing cabarets edited in a much more aggressive way sure it wasn't nominated and this is shocking to me for cinematography wasn't nominated it wasn't nominated for art direction and it wasn't nominated for music yeah that's I mean, weird it's really weird yeah um by the way uh i i watched uh, the new restoration which is on the blu-ray it's really beautiful mm-hmm. this movie was really beat up and previous versions of it did not look good and the only reason it got redone was that paramount bought dreamworks mm-hmm. and so dreamworks is now part of paramount so coppola calls up steven spielberg and says hey man <laughs> do you think you can get this restoration done and they did a beautiful 4k uh, yeah. scan um i think that I think you know we kind of said it before is that the influence of the Godfather it's just massive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, anything that deals with crime or the mob or mafia or anything from this point forward is influenced by the the Godfather, even if they're trying to not be anything like the Godfather. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it becomes the diehard of mafia movies. Everything is compared is. to Die Hard. Everything's compared to the Godfather. Yeah. And, and I also think it solidifies the movement of the seventies. I mean, it starts with the graduate and Bonnie and Clyde and even the easy Rider and some of these other films or last picture show. But this is like the massive, the entire world sits up and pays attention to the Godfather. Yeah. You know, and I think it, you know, there's this brief time until you get to jaws and star Wars, which is only, you know, star Wars is five years later. And that's as it starts to end this time of the seventies. So I will give my final thoughts first. I've been tr- I've been trying to think how to sum it up, and the and I thing that I keep getting stuck on is like any great piece of art, you can almost impl- apply any lens to it. Mm. And so the 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 journey of the characters of Vito and Michael in this film, I think we could say that this is an immigrant story. And this is the story about being assimilated and joining into the American ideal and maybe the fallacy of the American ideal, Mm. you know, that Michael is that Vito has said, I want to, we begin literally with, I believe in America Mm -hmm. and this story of this person who has come up against America that he believed in not working for him. That's the, the very first thing in the movie. And then we watch Michael who at the beginning is trying to be American and be like Kay and his, pursuit 
of success for his family and in protecting his family, he ends up destroying himself and his family. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, and, and then there's this other way that we can think of it as America itself, mm-hmm. you know, which is powerful and wealthy and seeks after things and along the way leaves so many, so much damage, so much tragedy, so much sin in, in the pursuit of what it is to, for, to have American greatness, you know, but, you know, and there's so many other ways to look at this film, to look at it as, as Coppola said, as the king and the three children and each of the aspects of his personality, to look at it in a way of seeing violence. You know, the line that we've talked about now multiple times of who's being naive, senators and presidents don't have people killed, you know, like the looking underneath things. And, and it's, of course, also the story of a family, you know. Yeah. And how this family evolves and changes and battles and hurts itself and survives over time. And I, you know, I, I feel so inadequate, honestly, in trying to sum up a film like this mm. because it is such an incredible movie and it has so much. I will never get tired of watching it and I will never stop learning from it every single time. I guess that really is my final thought. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, uh, my final thought is it's it's one of the seminal films that we talk about here. If you want to become a cinephile, and I, I know people sometimes bristle at the idea of gatekeeping, and Lord knows I've bristled at the idea of gatekeeping at times. But I truly believe to become a cinephile, to be a cinephile, there are certain movies that you have to have watched certain movies that you have to have understood how to analyze, interpret, break down, uh, uh, look at, explore, and educate yourself from about the medium. And this is one of those films. It is a film class. It is a semester of film unto itself, from the cinematography to the music to the costumes to the pacing to the dialogue to the acting to the editing. Everything is here for you to understand uh, what it is to make a film and then what it is to see the construction of a great film and why people fall in love with the medium of film at the level that they do, why people go back and watch movies over and over and over again, uh, because it's like looking at a painting over and over and over. It's like, you know, it's like listening to a piece of music that it's, that is thoroughly exquisitely constructed and just you know, and just really moves you in deep level. It's a symphony, right? It's for those of you yeah. who appreciate classical music, or it's one of the greatest jazz compositions you've ever heard. This is this is a film like that. You can go lose yourself inside of it and just enjoy the film on a surface level, but once you start delving in deep into it, uh, it really will um, just stay inside you for years to come, and it'll be one that you go back to a lot and tell people about. And pass it on to other people. That's the other gift of this film, too, is that you can pass it on to people who want to get into movies. Oh, what's a film I should watch if I really want to get into movies? What's a film I need to watch if I really want to understand what it's like to be a cinephile? The Godfather uh, should be one of the first ones coming out of your mouth because of the power of this movie. And the themes, the symbolism, the, the, uh, the, the relationship explorations that are had here between family, between uh, you know uh, wives and husbands, uh, even children and uh, you know fathers and sons 
daughters. All of that is here uh, to savor and enjoy. It's a story about America through an immigrant's point of view and then his children's point of view. It's the changing face of America at a time when we were coming out of World War II and wondering what we were in response to this attack and in response to our our movement as a uh, stronger world power uh, um, globally. So it's just so much. There's so much here. And it's just a goddamn great film. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what we have to go back to is it's a really good movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, sit down and day. watch it. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's the, you know, all the other stuff is that the job is to create a great story. Yeah on film and that is exactly what happens so that's what we think of the godfather it's been a huge journey to get to this (laughs) point of course we would love to hear what you think particularly if this is your first time experiencing this movie i'd love to hear that take visit our facebook page do a search for the cinephiles of course you can subscribe to the show on itunes on spotify now you can subscribe to it on amazon and audible as well please leave your reviews on itunes leave reviews on audible you can also go on youtube where you can leave your comments you can buy or stream the uh, godfather along with every other film we've ever reviewed on our website cinephiles.net and someone recently asked well, how do I do that? And it's like, well, every every episode has its own page and you go to the page and there's a big picture. And if you click on the picture, it takes you to Amazon Prime where you could buy the Blu-ray, you could buy or stream the movie or rent it. And if you don't want to watch it on your phone or computer, just go to your TV where you have that Amazon Prime app. And once you rent it through us on your phone, then watch it on your TV. So there's a quick explanation because I know that maybe there was some confusion every little bit of those anytime you click on those links on our website it helps us a little bit um you can also if you really want to help us support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles where we have new cinephile shorts every week and you also ask additional questions suggest films suggest short topics you can um follow the show on twitter on at Cine underscore files on Instagram at the Cinephiles podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at SR Morris and Instagram SR Morris one. John, how about you? You can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram for all the things we I have going on in my world and all the things I have going on on my channel, my YouTube channel, youtube.com, youtube.com slash John Roca says. Uh, and uh, yeah, all of that there. Um, yeah, that's all. I, I, I'm, I hope you all have enjoyed this because we, we're dreading uh, uh, what, how we were going to approach this. And I hope, and I've already seen some positive responses from people over the first part as we're, as I can admit, we're recording this third part after the first part has dropped. Uh, and it's been incredible to see how many people have already been enjoying it. And I hope you enjoyed these last two parts uh, as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, are looking forward to our breakdown of Godfather part two. Cause if you thought we, if you thought we tore this thing down to its, uh, uh, cells um just wait till we get a hold of godfather part two there's going to be so much to jump into and uh, explore as well so get ready for that so that's it for this week next week we will return with the corleone family for godfather two on the cinephiles <laughs>